The contents of the lab report are meant for educational purposes only. They're not meant to be misconstrued as medical diagnosis or treatment advice. Mm-hmm. Today on the lab report, we're going to talk to Dan Gardner. Using functional medicine in professional athletes. Yeah, professional athletes. Like, all of them. Right. The world of medicine can be challenging. Clinicians and patients are always looking for more options, more effective treatments, and in the end, more answers. Functional and integrative medicine focuses on addressing root causes of disease. Here at Genova Diagnostics, we've watched this field evolve and grow for over 35 years. We've not only adapted, we've led. Join us as we talk about functional medicine, laboratory testing, and optimizing health. Welcome to the Lab Report. Well, it's the fall. Sure I is. I love the fall. It's pumpkin spice season. I know you love that. It's pumpkin spice everything. <laughs> it's amazing how we've translated pumpkin spice into so many things. It's so versatile. <laughs> Hello. Hey, Michael Chapman. How are you today? I'm great. I got my pumpkin spice latte <laughs> and I'm using my pumpkin spice mixing board. <laughs> this is a podcast called The Lab Report. It's where we talk about things. Mm-hmm. Like Specialty things. lab testing, integrative therapeutics, precision medicine. And pumpkin spice. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and if you like pumpkin spice, you should probably go to iTunes or Spotify, maybe subscribe to this pumpkin spice version of the lab report. Sure. Rate, review, download, share with your friends, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. You know what I just realized? What? So there was a takeover. Uh-huh. Fall used to be uh, potpourri season, was it not? It was. And what yeah. happened? What <laughs> It got annihilated by pumpkin spice. But it not only gets annihilated by pumpkin spice, the whole season gets shorter and shorter because they're like revving up for Christmas oh and Thanksgiving. Goodness. Oh my goodness. So true story, right? Mm-hmm. So so we decided over the weekend, we were like, hey, you know what would be fun is to have a new holiday, a new family tradition called Spooky Sunday. Like every single Sunday? No, every once a year. Oh, Where okay. we go and we get Halloween decorations because uh-huh. we don't have any yet. And we're right. like, we like Halloween around the house. And so we've got little kids. It'd be fun. And so we're like, yes, this is a great idea. Spooky Sunday. And like all Saturday, we're like, <laughs> spooky <laughs> Sunday's coming. <laughs> yeah. And we were like all revved up. <laughs> we're all ready to go. We get yeah. and we go to Lowe's because we had previously seen this where like okay. all the yard stuff is. Yeah. Right. And yeah. so we go to Lowe's on Sunday, this past Sunday. And, uh, we get in the cart, we're walking up, and my daughter uses a phrase we've been trying to get her to stop using, which is, what the? <gasps> but Whoa. this time she used it quite accurately Why? because we walk in, no Halloween stuff, all Christmas. What? All Christmas. So we're ignoring Thanksgiving, we're ignoring Halloween, we're ignoring pumpkin spice. This is where we are right now as a I society? We're just moving things backwards because apparently if you want to shop for Halloween decorations, you need to start <laughs> in August. Oh, that's a shame. What are you on about? Yeah, good question. I mean, so if you also agree that we are manipulating the calendar in a way that should not be manipulated, Mm -hmm. send that feedback to podcast at gdx.net. And without further ado, uh, what are we talking about? We have a huge show today. We're going to meet Dan Garner of Team Garner, Inc. Yeah, he's a functional medicine practitioner who also happens to be a nutritionist and a, a trainer to many professional athletes and some Hollywood actors. So he's kind of a huge deal. Yeah, if you haven't heard of him, which would be kind of surprising at this point, I think maybe. But uh, once you hear the list of people that he has worked with, That's right. um, you will not need any convincing <laughs> that this is someone you should be listening to. Yeah, he's the guru. He's the fixer. He knows everything. He's a phenomenal speaker, great teacher, has an amazing podcast, and we're really excited to speak to him. His podcast is so amazing that... And he is so amazing that yeah. I think after you start hearing him speak, you'll no longer want to hear us speak, and you <laughs> might just go directly over to his Danger, podcast. danger. 
So without further ado, uh, let's talk to him. Yeah. Patty. I can't believe it. Dan Gardner. I know. Right? I can't believe it. I mean, okay. So let me tell you a little bit. Dan Gardner is the founder of Team Gardner Inc., which offers high-level personalized online training and nutritional coaching for world-class results. Dan is a strength coach, hockey performance specialist, nutritionist, trainer, lab analyst, best-selling author, and host of the Gardner Report podcast. Dan has worked with dozens of professional athletes in nine different pro sports, two UFC world champions, an Olympic gold medalist, an Olympic silver medalist, two bronze medalists, WWE world champion, three Super Bowl (laughs) winners, three Hall of Fame inductees, two all-time world record breakers, three player of the year winners, and several Hollywood actors. He is an international lecturer on sports nutrition and has been featured in many major media outlets. So with that, thank you so much. Yeah, that's awesome, you guys. Thank you so much for having me. I'm I'm real pumped to be here. That's oh no, nice. we're honored. I mean, listening to that bio, I mean, where do we even start? But I think maybe that's just the question. Where did you get your start in this industry of nutrition and training? Like, what's the journey to Team Garner Inc.? Right. Sure. So my journey, uh, I guess, began with bad genetics. <laughs> I uh, I wanted nothing more than to be a meathead when I was a younger <laughs> kid, and I still want nothing more than to be a meathead. And uh, this this lack of results that things that did just didn't kind of naturally come easier to me mm-hmm. in the world of uh, performance, muscle and strength development. It, it forced me and gave me the drive that I needed to uh, seek out evidence-based solutions to how all of this stuff actually works. If uh, if my genes aren't just going to give it to me by showing up and having protein shakes, then how can I optimize my physiology from the outside in to the inside out mm-hmm. in order to start getting higher level results? And then as my knowledge uh, just, I guess, accumulated over time. I, I started lifting weights when I was 14 and I'm um, 33 now. So I've been in the gym. I've never taken a week off. Uh, that wasn't a program deload week. So it's mm. been 18 years <laughs> of um, nonstop training without any breaks. And Yikes. it's just my absolute favorite thing to do. And it brought me into the field. I, I started in the field like most uh, coaches who work in athletics. You start at the bottom. I started just as a personal trainer at Gold's Gym, Mm -hmm. but kind of separated myself from the pack because I just, and to this day, I'm absolutely fascinated by everything in biology. I mean, biology, it's it's answered questions that we don't even know are questions yet. Mm -hmm. I'm just, I have a relentless curiosity when it comes to this stuff. And as that knowledge base continued to grow, in my local area up here in Canada of London, Ontario, I kind of became the go-to guy Mm -hmm. for Mm. problem solving. Mm. So it was kind of a stressful way to build your career because you're getting everybody's tough client cases. (laughs) That basically was my job. (laughs) But you kind of get experience in dog years that way because (laughs) you're learning how to work with other people who may have ailments or may who not have good genetics or are at a certain plateau or whatever it's going to be. So I'm grateful for that experience that I've gone through. And yeah, and I just kind of continued my problem solving journey towards becoming a functional medicine practitioner, becoming a strength and condition coach and working with some of the the cool athletes that I now do problem solving for that uh, you talked about so kindly in the introduction. (laughs) That's awesome. 
That's wow. awesome. Well, you know, it's funny too because we followed your podcast and obsessed. Yeah, we know that um, you cover a lot of territory despite being a self-ascribed meathead. Um, right. And so, <laughs> why don't we start with like, can we maybe start with what you think might be some of the biggest nutrition slash diet myths as it as it maybe relates to sports performance? Sure. So I'll class. I'll reclassify myself maybe as an evidence-based meathead. That's <laughs> I like it. I like that's, it. That's, Fair. I'll, I'll go like that. If, okay. if you go to my Instagram, it's it's almost a confusing place to be because you'll if you see a study and then a guy flexing, you're in the right spot. <laughs> that's, that's the evidence-based meathead. But um, when it comes to myths, oh, I mean, there are so many. But I, I guess I would begin with the the idea of adrenal fatigue. I think mm. that that is one that could absolutely um, be refined. I think a lot of people, they, uh, there's enough, you know, turmoil and anger in the world, so I don't want to contribute anymore <laughs> to that because I know that these people mean well. Mm -hmm. You're just, unfortunately, there's a lot of curriculums that just haven't been updated in a very long time. You're, you're, you're typically taught, okay, the hypothalamus is going to send cortisol-releasing hormone to the pituitary. Pituitary is going to send adrenocorticotropic hormone to the adrenal. The adrenals are then going to produce cortisol. Mm -hmm. But a bang, bada boom, that's how the stress response happens. Mm -hmm. But as research continues to come out, that just is, it's, it's almost embarrassingly simplistic. It's, it's way too small of mm -hmm. an idea mm -hmm. to wrap up in a single sentence like that. And, and anytime we've thought we are smarter than biology, biology always reminds us that we're not. <laughs> and right. when you, you always, you got to consider so many feedback loops. Everything has a feedback loop. Everything has a compensation. Everything leverages on organ systems right. and uh, organelles within the body. And as things have continued to come out, um, I'm not saying that low cortisol is real because it absolutely is. Mm -hmm. And it is something that doesn't have to be Addison's disease either. Mm -hmm. low, low cortisol is something that you can absolutely address. But the thing with low cortisol is it may have absolutely nothing to do with adrenal function whatsoever. Mm -hmm. So like what I just said, that most people consider the hypothalamus pituitary adrenal access as that's the only way to make cortisol. But we've, there's excellent, excellent papers, and they're quite recent as well. I mean, in, the, in 2007, the, the Journal of uh, Molecular and Cellular Endocrinology, they came out with an excellent paper. And I mean, 2007 is 14 years ago now. Mm -hmm. But they identified that the skin can actually make its own cortisol-releasing hormone, hmm. its own adrenocorticotrophic hormone, and its own cortisol. Mm. So even though the skin doesn't have a hypothalamus or pituitary, mm -hmm. it has its own HPA access. Mm -hmm. It has every single hormone and receptor required to begin and end the process. Mm -hmm. And as you continue to go through the data, you'll find that, uh, well, I mean, fun fact here as well, if you cut the adrenal glands out of rats, they still make cortisol. Hmm. So it emerged a lot of more research and we, we ended up finding the brain makes cortisol, the heart makes cortisol, the thymus makes cortisol, the lungs and the intestines, they all make cortisol. So we can make it outside of the adrenal glands, but we can also recycle it. There's something known as 11 beta hydroxy dehydrogenase type one. Well done. Nice. So, well done, nice sir. Work. So, it's a real mouthful to say, but uh, it, it actually converts inactive cortisone into cortisol. Right. So we can make it the act and tissues outside of the cell 
extract this uh, this um, uh, enzyme. So we can make it outside of the adrenal glands. We can recycle it outside of the adrenal glands by converting cortisone to cortisol. But we can also actually convert precursors because there's another mouthful, cytochrome P450 11 beta 1. It'll actually <laughs> convert something known as 11 deoxycorticosterone mm. into cortisol. Mm. So we have precursors, we have recycling ability, and we have straight up uh, non HPA axes that are HPA axes yeah. um, outside of the adrenal glands. So it's yeah. just, it's a scenario where. You have so much going on that it's it's a little bit too simplistic. And I think that's why a lot of practitioners, they might get 50% of their clients' results. Mm -hmm. But then the other 50%, you know, what's the typical story? You run a salivary panel and then you give them adaptogens because that's what you're supposed to do. And then 30 days later... The salivary panel looks the same, mm. right? And then, right. and then you somehow gotta kind of talk with the client and be like, uh, I mean, it's uh, us we're doing the right thing. Just, just give it another month." <laughs> but uh, it, it's, it's, it, there's a lot of different angles here. Like uh, this could honestly, I could go on to do it properly. Could could take like eight hours. But right. I've seen other uh, other papers as well where IL six actually mimics adrenocorticotrophic hormone. So you can actually have an inflammatory marker secrete cortisol in the absence of adrenocorticotropic hormone. Right. But another inflammatory marker, TNF-alpha, actually blocks receptor activity on the adrenal gland. So depending on what cytokines are high or low, we can either block production or increase production. So does somebody have an adrenal problem hmm. or do they have an inflammation problem? Sure. Or does it have anything to do with the adrenals at all? Right. It's, uh, I mean, one of my favorite studies, and that, like you can probably tell I can go on forever here, <laughs> so I'll, I'll end it with this one. But one of my favorite studies in the worlds of, of killing myths was actually in uh, 2014. It's done at uh, the Journal of Clinical in, uh, Endocrinology. And they took eight men, and it was a cool study, low, low, uh, amount of uh, test subjects, I understand, but it was still cool. They took eight healthy men and they gave them isocaloric macronutrient shakes. So you either had just protein, just carbs, or just fat. And the researchers measured cortisol levels after drinking these isocaloric shakes. And what was found was that cortisol went up pretty much the same after all different macronutrient types. Mm -hmm. That's pretty cool, no biggie, mm -hmm. but where it comes from is when things start to get interesting. Because if you had a fat or a protein shake, about 70% of cortisol came from the adrenal glands, whereas 30% of the cortisol came from other areas of the body. So that's one third of cortisol secretion coming not from the adrenal glands. Yet with the carbohydrate shake, it was a 50-50 split. 50% of the cortisol came from the adrenal glands and 50% came from elsewhere. Hmm. So in other words, not only does the macronutrient type of your meal impact cortisol level, it also impacts where they even come from. Right. So we just, we've, we've got a lot more 
refining of current curriculums too, mm-hmm. and a lot more refining of how diagnostics are done in the world of, of calling something. I don't even, adrenal fatigue in my brain doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. It'd be reclassified as cortisol dysregulation because as far as I'm concerned, you don't even know where it's coming from yet. Sure, right, sure. Right. No, it's fascinating. And it makes me think of, you know, so often, whether it's medicine, biology, or what, like when you have this limited understanding, it's natural for, for scientists, for people to, to sort of ascribe a one-to-one connection, right? right. So like cortisol, one-to-one yeah. connection to adrenal. But we know it, it might even be better to, instead of asking like, what does this gland do or what does this hormone do or where does it come from? Like understanding why it's doing what it's doing. And that's where I think the functional approach comes from. It's, it's similar like if somebody has hip pain, then oftentimes you don't look at the hip, right? You look at the, the feet, right. you look at the, the knees, you look at everything because the hip pain is probably a compensation mechanism. And similar with cortisol, like my question is like well why is it doing that right yes yeah i love that like that's actually how i think like you i'm not going to be able to word it better than you (laughs) but when i look at labs one of the first thing i think is why does the body think this is a good idea Mm -hmm. because the the body is already smarter than us we're not going to outsmart biology so some sort of compensation mechanism was put in place for the purpose of living another day. Some sort of survival thing is happening right now. So when you're seeing numbers that are high or low or offset or the the relationships not making sense if you're doing daily measures, why does the body think this is a good idea? And that's pretty much exactly where I start my diagnostic process. I love that. I love that. And, you know, by virtue of the fact that we're in functional medicine, we already think differently. But Michael can attest in medical affairs, we look at results all day long and hear the clinical picture. And so we're constantly thinking bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, But just to pivot just a little bit, you know, you're a nutritional specialist. And we know, Mm -hmm. not only from doing this podcast, but from speaking to clients, that many people sit staunchly in their diet camps, right? Keto, fasting, paleo, Mm -hmm. vegan. And then there's those who are trying to lose weight and they battle cravings and binging. Each one of those could be a whole hour long with Dan Garner. But (laughs) I think my question is, how do you help your clients or athletes develop an emotional, healthy relationship to food? Uh, yeah, I mean, Patty's like, yeah, let's get this guy to shut Dude, up about cortisol no, for a second. Let's no, no. <laughs> I literally, I want to hear about every single one of these diets. What's your opinion? What should we do? How do we tell people? Yeah. No, 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 no. I'm just joking around. So the 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 diet camps, you know, uh, to, to answer that kind of thing first, that's why I think, and I think you guys would be totally on board with me. I think that before anybody joins a diet camp, they should simply learn physiology mm-hmm. because the physiology is what's going to determine the best diet for you. Yeah. Not right. not necessarily what you believe in, not what was a cool documentary, right. not what the charismatic good-looking guy on Instagram said. <laughs> Absolutely none of that stuff. It's 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 physiology. That's the the number one discipline I think coaches and functional medicine practitioners should always dive into. Because it's physiology that's going to allow you to make the meal plan for the client rather than the client fit your meal plan. Yeah. Mm. That's a, it's you're 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 kind of flipping the script there. And it's what's funny is that you're basically turning, you know, you're going back to school for biochemistry, you're going back to school for biology, you're yep. you're, you're learning these things that are just going to allow you to truly make a plan that is made for uh, contextual physiology, rather than a belief system. Yeah. I think that's super key. And that all by itself to kind of answer the second part of your question, how are we going to 
get compliance mm -hmm. on those people. Well, I kind of, I've got kind of two different people that'll come to me, right? Because I've got the athletes, but then I also will still have some general population people that'll, that'll sneak in there here and there. Mm -hmm. And the athletes, my, their compliance with me, uh, sometimes they're just going to comply no matter what. Because for example, uh, I, I work with a lot of UFC fighters. If you're going to get in a cage with another person that wants to kick your head into the audience, <laughs> yeah. you're going to follow the meal plan no matter what. To you, you're gonna you're gonna do everything in your power to be prepared on that day. Mm -hmm. So those kinds of people, they more so have a relationship with getting their kicked off right. Right. than worrying about their relationship with food. Yeah. So those high performance athletes, it's almost a little bit easier for me as a coach because that's kind of just an input output machine. Right. I know they're following the plan and then I can measure the outputs and adjust accordingly from there. Beautiful. Mm -hmm. When I focus on biology and not have to worry about psychology, mm -hmm. my job is a lot easier. <laughs> but, but when it comes to say general population, and getting them a healthy relationship with food. Well, healthy relationship, where does that begin? Health. Mm. If, if you focus on health, uh, that's the thing. Like a lot of people think they need, need to lose weight in order to be healthy. But the truth is that you need to be healthy in order to lose weight. Mm. It's the reverse. Yeah. Yeah. When you put health at the forefront, your body's, the physiology will follow. When when people are chasing numbers on a scale or if they're chasing the size of a dress or if they're chasing certain things, they're chasing a weight that they have in their mind, your weight is not a number. It's a feeling, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Your ideal weight is a number. Wow. It's a feeling. Mm -hmm. And we're going to optimize health. We want to reinstate hormonal balance. We want to get a healthy gut. And when we do these kinds of things... You're not going to want to turn back. People, they don't understand how good the human body is actually designed to feel. And once you understand physiology mm -hmm. and apply the correct plan for the correct person, they are going to get a lot healthier. And healthier people have more energy throughout the day. They don't have wild cravings at night. They do sleep better. Mm -hmm. And all of these things create a type of homeostasis that gets them to a healthy weight a lot more efficiently in respect to timeline because they will just get results faster. Mm -hmm. But it also gets uh, a sense of, um, I guess, behavior patterns that they're going to, be able to carry on with them for the rest of their life. Because the people who don't have a healthy relationship with food are the people who are focused on outside in markets. Mm. Things exclusively like calories, exclusively like weight, exclusively like the dress size, exclusively like making sure, you know, oh, man, I had I had 300 grams of chicken and I was supposed to only have 299. <laughs> you know, th this is I better not eat tomorrow. Right. Like these kinds of people, they torture themselves. But when when you truly have an approach that's that's driven from the inside out rather than the outside in and you focus on health rather than cosmetics then that's someone who is going to comply because they are their body as a partner rather than a project. Mm -hmm. Interesting. I like that. I do. I appreciate that, that flip and paradigm. Um, but it does go back to what you were saying before about the, the, the ease of physiology, once you're trying to deal with the psychology underneath. And so I guess it's, it's kind of like, how do you, where do you start from the approaching the psychology of reorienting 
um, not only, I guess I would say, the importance or the priority of health and, and that being your number one goal as compared to, you know, the aesthetics that might be gleaned from it. Uh, I mean, where do you start there? Or should we just be motivating people by throwing them in a cage with, with each other and telling <laughs> them that they have to fight it out? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Patty and Michael, eight weeks. You guys are getting in there. We're going to make something happen. <laughs> <laughs> I'm no, already on creatine, baby. Oh, that's that's amazing. <laughs> um, but yeah, when when we're getting kind of someone focused on health rather than cosmetics, the funny thing is, coaches normally get in the way rather than the client because and and you know this may not be everybody's experience, but when say someone from the general population hires me, they typically don't hire me to um, get to a certain number. I mean, lots of times their questionnaire will say, I sleep poorly, or I have low energy, or I can't get on the ground anymore to, to play with my uh, four-year-old knee. I, there's, I'm tired at the end of my workday. My knees hurt. A lot of times their goals aren't actually to do a bikini competition mm-hmm. or to do uh, to look like a guy on Instagram. And sure. I think a lot of times, actually, the coaches are the ones at fault because they are the ones who prescribe the calorie intake. They are the ones that prescribe the macronutrient intake. They are the ones who prescribe the goal loss each and every single week. So I think that a lot of times, if we just be the tree that bends with the wind mm-hmm. and listen to their goals that aren't cosmetically based, then can emphasize the things that um, are going to drive health. And those cosmetic things are going to come along with it anyways. Mm -hmm. And what you'll find too, is a lot of these people that are hiring you, they're hiring you because they're on a roller coaster. Mm -hmm. They had a lot of successes and a lot of failures. And when you say focus on health, it's a breath of fresh air for them. It's something new. It's something they have done yet. It makes sense to them. It's something they can get on board with. So that's, that's always been my type of approach. And uh, I haven't had a problem getting people to adhere to that. Mm -hmm. It's profound. Yeah. I love that. That's great. Um, I would like to maybe touch a little bit on uh, nutritional supplements because, you know, another wild and wacky part of our profession and, and, you know, one of those things where there's so much out there, it's hard to sometimes even know where to start. But, um, you know, when you think of nutritional supplements, especially as it pertains to kind of overall performance, what are some of the things that in your mind are a little bit overrated, maybe you know, overhyped for the average Joe out there. Um, and what are some of the things that you think are like absolutely mandatory? Like I just recently started taking creatine. Oh, obsessed with creatine. And I was, all I, was I, hear about. I could not believe that I was noticing such a difference in my workouts as compared to, I had never taken it before and I'm almost, you know, <laughs> however old 40. Yeah. <laughs> so in, in, in respect to like overrated supplements, for the Creating. average person, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I, th- I think most most supplements are actually overrated for the average person. Mm-hmm. I think the average person, um, I call it majoring in the minors. They, mm-hmm. they want to focus on a new pre-workout product, but their diet's horrible. Mm-hmm. Or they want to find glutamine for recovery, but their sleep sucks. Mm-hmm. They, they, they're, they got the cart before the horse. So I, in terms of 
supplementation. There's a lot of bad stuff out there, but there is also a lot of good stuff out there. There's a lot of stuff with excellent evidence that's extremely effective. I mean, I, I've worked, I use, I use a lot of supplements actually. I use a lot with my athletes. I use a lot when I've done labs with somebody because I'm able to identify exactly what they need and exactly what they don't need. But I guess in respect to, to overrated supplements, I think the average person really doesn't need peri-workout, like pre-intra and post-workout nutrition. That's reserved for people who are expending a lot of energy and who have a very high recovery demand. Mm -hmm. Whereas the average person who already has a lot of weight to lose, like somebody who's um, a very, very high body fat percentage, uh, they don't like the amino acids are going to be used primarily to drive certain neurotransmitter responses as well as preserve lean tissue during exercise. Mm -hmm. But somebody who's overweight doesn't have to worry about losing their lean tissue during exercise. Right. Okay. They just simply don't. Your, your body is absolutely going to preferentially take away from those fat stores way before it's going to consider any type of muscle loss. Same with uh, peri-workout carbohydrates. I mean, having pre-intra and post-workout carbs, if somebody is coming uh, highly overweight, which is, you know, a lot of the average population is these days, then they're not going to eat those carbs for fuel. You know, it, it sounds not very nice to say, but they already have enough meals on their body right now that mm -hmm. is going to fuel them through this workout. Whereas somebody who is a lot leaner going through an extremely high, let's say, UFC workout or a NFL workout or a CrossFit workout, these people absolutely have a very high demand for an immediate source of glucose to fuel that workout process. They're going to need some type of amino acid availability in order to drive certain neurotransmitter responses we want, certain hydration responses we want, but also uh, to preserve lean muscle mass during, you know, training is eventually anabolic, but the actual process of it is catabolic. And when you're lean and spending a ton of energy and are maybe on week eight of an already high volume training program, this stuff is extremely important. So I think the average person can get away with not having pre and post workout nutrition until until they reach a certain level of leanness, it starts to make sense. And it also just starts to make sense at that point too, because they're a lot more insulin sensitive and ready for those incoming carbohydrates to actually be of a lot more use uh, for them mm -hmm. um, compared to what they are right now. And a supplement that, uh, I mean, I think that those are overrated for average people. Uh, something I think is underrated for average people, and it sounds so basic, but uh, a, a B complex, uh, a vitamin B complex, I think is so crazy underrated. Uh, and I say that, I never would have said that if I hadn't ordered over a thousand labs on people. And I, and I don't say that to, to sound dramatic. I've, I've really done, I've stopped counting. <laughs> I've done over a thousand labs on people. And the amount of people I see with low B vitamins is, is outstanding. It, it comes with my foundation products at this point in time. Like most people will say multi fish oil, whatever, uh, magnesium, you know, whatever their mm -hmm. foundation is. But B complexes has actually become a part of the foundation because I've seen so many people with low vitamin B status. And when you start looking into the research on vitamin B activity, I mean, we're going to need B1, B2, uh, B3, and B5 for nutrients to enter that citric acid cycle so right. we can optimize ATP synthesis. Um, if somebody wants to optimize protein synthesis, that's, this is another very interesting thing. And it's one of the reasons why I'm against just the classic, if it fits your macros, people who only do calories and only do macronutrients. Mm -hmm. When you disrespect micronutrients, then the macronutrients you're taking 
aren't able to actually facilitate what they're supposed to do. Yeah, they just like uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, like uh, your your nucleus to initiate protein synthesis is going to require B12, folate, copper, and selenium. So even if somebody takes in a large amount of protein, and let's even say they're also on anabolic steroids, that doesn't mean they have the micronutrients that are absolutely a rate limiting step for protein synthetic responses. And that is for the protein synthesis of anything. If you want to act it in mouse and for your biceps, cool. You're still going to need micronutrients. But if you want to create protein synthesis to make insulin, to make the sodium uh, potassium pump transporter on the edge of cells, that is a protein. All enzymes are proteins, even hormones like fibrinogen. These are all, if it's a hormone, a receptor site, a pump, if it's uh, actual muscle tissue, if it's smooth tissue, if it's cardiac tissue, all of these things, these are all different types of proteins. And you're going to need to initiate protein synthesis from the nucleus with those micronutrients. But then also your body's going to need to undergo transamination. Uh, your body, uh, for those listeners who may not be familiar, your body can actually convert and create its own non-essential amino acids. So we've got our essential that we need from the diet, but non-essential amino acids we can actually create on our own to make all of these enzymes and proteins and cool things. Vitamin B6 is required for over 200 different transamination enzymes. Right. Over 200. You need B6 no matter what protein you're making. So if you want to initiate cell transcription at the nucleus, you're going to need those micronutrients. If you're going to want to initiate the end response of an actual protein being created, you're going to need B6. Not to mention B1, B2, B3, and B5 are all going to be used in the mitochondria to produce energy. And that's kind of a, a conversation all by itself because the nucleus is going to need that ATP in order to do its job. The protein synthesis is going to require, and there's no free lunches in physiology. Mm -hmm. That protein synthesis is going to require ATP. And then you can even kind of, you know, it, it can branch out as far as you want, right? The parietal cells of the stomach are what create our hydrochloric acid. But your body is going to need ATP to create those hydrochloric acids. So that's all ATP dependent. Yeah. So if we lack things that drive ATP, then when there's a whole lot of stuff that we can't do, right. at, at least not optimally. You, you can think about it like living uh, on a one-lane highway that's backed up mm. versus a five-lane highway that's producing ATP with no brakes at all. Mm. That's somebody who has got an excellent level of B vitamins. And I like throwing a B complex in there anyways because it's water-soluble. So it's not going to be toxic if, uh, if somebody takes it in. So I, I love B vitamins for upregulating all of those processes and even more. Dan, you're speaking our language. I mean, we're two of the biggest biochemistry geeks in the world, and Michael has an entire yes. wall in his office of biochemical pathways, and we stare at all of those cofactors and how they're so My underappreciated. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's super fascinating, too. I love the way that you laid that out because, you know, one of the things I think about, like, like you're saying, so many of these processes are B vitamin dependent. All the metabolic pathways are B vitamin dependent for the most part. And so you're trying to, especially in people who are optimizing physical performance, sports optimization, optimization they are they are burning these pathways probably at a much higher rate in on average than many of us kind of regular folk they're only naturally going to need more of these cofactors that are involved in making sure those things run 
efficiently. But what have we done is we've, instead of just taking it in the form of food, we've kind of broken it out into these macros, right? right Where it's right. like you need protein mm. and you need fat, yeah, which yeah. are devoid of what originally they, those macros came with, which were the micros, right? right? We used to, back when food was food, it was all packaged <laughs> together. Yeah. And now that we've separated yeah. it, right? It's like only natural that people to maintain optimal physical fitness, they're going to need more of the micros. It makes so much sense. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, to, to kind of piggyback on what you just said, um, those athletes, they're using more than your average person. Mm-hmm. But the, they're not just using more than the average person. They're using more than anybody in history. Mm-hmm. Because to set a world record in 2021 is extremely harder than it was in 1950. Mm-hmm. We're pushing human physiology to its freaking limit. Right. And if we want keep pushing that, you simply won't be able to if you don't have the micronutrient availability to support all of those pathways that you are trying to dominate in in your life. You, you need those micronutrients so that the macronutrients can actually do what they're supposed to do um, for activity. But let's not forget, you need the micronutrients for, for restoration as well. Because your B6 is what's also going to drive serotonin and melatonin synthesis from tryptophan. So it's not like we're just using this stuff to, to get in there and train and, you know, get, be a big meathead like Michael on creatine. You know, <laughs> we're, we're, we're using these micronutrients to sleep as well and calm down and activate the parasympathetic nervous system and do these things. It's, it's very broad spectrum and and dotting our I's and crossing our T's in that category is what every practitioner should be doing. I like that. Well, let me take that just one step further. When you're talking about these elite athletes, and you touched on this earlier when we were talking about the HP axis and stress and cortisol. So not only are you working on nutrition with these folks to try to help make some of these neurotransmitters, but when you're training them, how hard is it to get them to understand the importance of sleep and, and actually taking a break from training? Um, it, it's, uh, it's not as hard as you'd think. Remember, I work with some input output machines. Yeah. There's a, there's almost an implied adherence at times because it's like, yes, coach, mm-hmm. yes, coach. Mm-hmm. Like they, they, they are likely already referred to me from their strength and conditioning coach or from their skills coach, or they've been following me on social media or whatever. So the trust is almost there. Like I'm the worst, by the way, I'm the worst salesman in the world. I can't sell anything. So like, I'm not closing these guys in sales meetings with my excellent talking. (laughs) What, what got me where I am is through results. So a lot of times there's almost an implied adherence because they're like, okay, I know this guy. I'm familiar with this guy. He's recommended me from another guy who I like. So I'm just going to do what he says because I don't want to get my head kicked off in a month. So there's a, there's a lot of that implied adherence Um, I think beyond that though, I think you'd probably want to tackle it, uh, through two ways. I think you can sell people with emotion, but then close them on logic. So let's just kind of keep the analogy. If you want to get an athlete emotionally driven towards recovery, I, I break it down and I don't get all biochemistry, about it. I just, I get very simple about stimulus versus adaptation. I'll, I'll, I'll just clearly say to them. Hey, man, look, you don't build strength in the gym. You don't build muscle in the gym. You don't build power or endurance in the gym. What you do in the gym is create a stimulus for strength development, a stimulus for muscle development, or a stimulus for power and endurance development. Everything you do outside of the gym determines whether or not you're going to adapt to that stimulus. You ever met somebody who's trained really hard, 
yet still kind of looks the same year after year. Yeah, that's somebody who's all stimulus, no adaptation. Do you want to be that guy? No, I don't, Coach Garner. Oh, okay, cool. So then let's focus on what's going to drive adaptation, which is a good diet and good sleep. End of discussion. Whoa. So that kind of, that I think gets you're their selling emotional brain. Short on yeah, the sales like, part of it. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing, Michael. I got a little scared. I, like, <laughs> I got to listen to Coach well, Dan. Is, is it selling or shouting? <laughs> <laughs> so that basically gets their emotional brain like, ah, man, he, he's right. You know, I, I've been training hard for quite a while and I'm hiring him for a reason. This is what we're doing, right? Yeah. So that kind of gets their emotion going. And then you can close them on logic. So just sell on emotion, close on logic. What's logic? Send them a study on how no sleep reduces testosterone. Send them a study on how no sleep increases your injury risk, reduces your uh, glucose tolerance, uh, reduces your reaction time. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, cool. So do you want to have low testosterone, increased risk of injury, uh, poor glucose tolerance, so your energy will be high and low throughout the day? And then we'll also uh, have slower reaction time on top of that. Sound good? No, it doesn't, man. <laughs> uh, okay, cool. Then go to bed at nine and shut up. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. I mean, I also wonder too, I'm, one of the things that's getting more and more popular, especially in this area, is trying to manage or mitigate or evaluate recovery in the form of wearable devices, HRV, things like that. Do you use any of those in your, uh, your work with your athletes? Uh, you guys, I, I didn't even know that this is a Zoom call. So when it comes to that stuff, <laughs> uh, I, I'm, I'm not the technology <laughs> man, right? <laughs> I, I, I got on here and I was like, man, this looks like Zoom. And you guys were like, well, well, it kind of is, man. <laughs> so when, when it comes to that, I actually don't use wearable devices. Um, not because, you know, I'm so dumb with technology. That's just a joke. Uh, but, but mainly because I'm one-on-one guy. So if I worked with a team and I'd say be collecting data from 80 NFL players at once, yeah, you know, I'm going to start using devices. We might be using heart rate monitors and using HRV. Maybe you throw some aura rings on them or a whoop, whatever they're currently sponsored by, whatever they can get access to, whatever data I can get. I'm always a numbers guy. I'm going to find correlations uh, no matter what, right? So if I'm working with a team, then I'll use wearable devices. But being a one-on-one guy, I just, I don't know. I just haven't needed to because I do labs on my people often enough to know exactly what's going on. And in between those labs, uh, I am a coach. I'm not a scientist. So I know certain questions to ask people uh, to get the subjective feedback I need. That gives me insight towards the biofeedback that I want to know about. So it's basically labs, a lot of conversations, and then labs again. Right. Nice. Right. Nice. You know, I think a lot about <clears throat> the aspect of taking this information that we have as far as optimizing our athletes and how to scale it, you know, because we've talked about you also work with, you know, more of the general population or, you know, executives or actors or things like that who aren't necessarily athletes themselves. And so I yep. just I wonder, too, like what what's one of the big differences between athletes and, say, you know, the average Joe? And like, how do we take this information and inspire a, a way to change the average Joe mentality so that we're actually, you know, dealing with some of these chronic diseases. Um, the way to change the average Joe mentality, um, I would say a little bit of echoing of what I said previously is if you put health at the forefront, your goals will follow. 
I think that that's if, if average Joe's started to do that, then they wouldn't need to hop from program to program or roller coaster things along because they when when you find health, like I said, people don't really understand how good the human body is designed to feel. It's supposed to have energy. You're supposed to have a sex drive. You're supposed to sleep well each and every single night. You're not supposed to be exhausted. You're not supposed to have brain fog. Your ability to translate your thoughts into words should be sharp, rapid, on point. That when you are healthy, these things you don't want to walk away from. And it takes the right coach with the right program to give that to you almost, you know, for lack of a better phrase, show you the light. Mm -hmm. And then when you see that health response, you don't turn back. If you chase outside in markers, you're never going to be satisfied. I mean, there, there's uh, guys with a hundred million dollars out there who still want another hundred million. Mm -hmm. There's guys out there with 10 Ferraris who want that 11th Ferrari. When you are focused on the outside in, it's, it's human behavior. We're not going to ever be satisfied. But when you get that inside out feeling of true health, it's something you're never going to walk away from. You just feel so much better every single day. And athletes, they are coming around to this a lot um, in respect to you know your questions comparing the general pop to athletes. Athletes, a lot of times are echoing what I'm saying about health, because that means they get another contract. Their career longevity has just increased due to their health. Yeah. So when we can do something like that, they're focusing on health. So general population people should also be focusing on health. And I think another thing the general population could learn from athletes is listen to your coach. Mm. You hired yeah. them for a reason. Yeah. You should at least give them a shot. And when it comes to biology, and adaptations, consistency beats intensity every single time. Consistency beats intensity 10 times out of 10 because biology responds to adaptations over time. Just like nobody gets in shape in one week, uh, nobody's going to develop a lifelong habit in one week either. And you're going to end up on that roller coaster all over again. So you need to listen to your coach. You need to put health at the forefront. And I think you need to give your coach at least eight weeks of good, attentive adherence for your body to start really realizing all of the stuff that they're trying to get you to do and trying to get you to feel. I love this. I love mm -hmm. this. This has been a blast. And I will say, I just want to encourage our audience to check out your podcast, The Garner Report, because I've become obsessed with it. I don't think you need to. Like I've become obsessed with this podcast. They've probably left us already and but gone to that podcast. I guess that's a bad thing. We should not be sending them elsewhere. But I will say, for a deep dive on just about every little thing we touched on today, this Garner Report podcast is phenomenal. But Dan, where can people find you either on social media or find you to follow you? I mean, I've watched you on Facebook. I've watched a lot of your videos. Where can people find you? Um, so before I, I tell people where to find me, I do want to thank you guys. Uh, I, I'm... The Michael and Patty have not told me to say anything like this. You guys, I've ordered a million Genova labs oh, in the past, and they are the absolute best. Uh, this what I've used in my practice a million times over. So this is this is what I'm doing with all of my business execs, with all of my top athletes. I absolutely love Genova and oh. the education that they offer oh, for people. Thanks, so Dan. I did. I did. That. I wanted to sneak that in because you guys are too <laughs> humble and you wouldn't let me. <laughs> as far as where to find me uh, just keep it simple i think the best spot to find me is instagram dan garner nutrition 
Perfect. Awesome. Perfect. Well, Dan, this has been a blast. But before I let you go, we do have one last question that I'm going to kick to Michael Chapman. Yeah, we have a hokey, predictable tradition, which is to ask a question that doesn't have anything to do with what we were talking about. And my question for you is, um, do you, how do you feel about karaoke? And if you like it, do you have a signature karaoke song? <laughs> uh, no. Okay. So... I uh, I'm one of the most socially awkward people in the world, so I've uh, I, I'm I can speak freely here because I'm safe behind my microphone. But uh, when it comes to karaoke, I've I've only done it twice in my whole life, and that's because I had enough drinks to create enough false confidence that I could actually do it. <laughs> and uh, as far as a favorite song to sing. I don't think I have one because none of them are crowd pleasers. <laughs> <laughs> well, you are in good company because that sounded like a, a, an answer spoken like a true scientist like <laughs> That's us. True. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> <laughs> well, Dan, what an absolute blast. And we're so honored that you came on the show and we're so grateful. So thanks so much for your time. Awesome. Thank you guys so much. So the thing is, we had a really nice interview here and i yeah. feel like we could have gone for probably another two oh. days if you've ever heard him speak Dan. he can literally speak on any topic we could have taken this in a million directions and we may need to have him back to take it in a whole bunch of other directions i would agree except <laughs> i would remove the word may and just indicate <laughs> that we do need to have him back because there's so much ground to cover and to be honest and maybe just leveraging his brain on this podcast so yeah. that we're like we sound smarter <laughs> yeah can we just co-opt him? Can he? We'll see. Okay. You know, it's not like he's not busy or stuff, but I wonder if he likes pumpkin spice. Regardless, he could probably tell us the physiologic mechanisms behind True. things like clove, cinnamon, and True. nutmeg. Ugh. So maybe next year we'll have him on during the actual fall season. When, when's that going to be then? Apparently May. <laughs> next time on The Lab Report, we're going to talk to James Maskell. He is back, one of my favorite guests, famous health economist. You think he likes pumpkin spice? Hmm. You've been listening to The Lab Report. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast, rate us, and leave us a review. To learn more about Genova Diagnostics, visit our website at gdx.net. There you'll find information on specific testing, educational resources, and how to connect with our show. Call us at 1-800-522-4762 or email us at podcast at gdx.net. So what are you going to do about Spooky Sunday now? Is that gone forever, or did you find any decorations? What's happening there? Yeah, it basically turned into Amazon Sunday. <laughs>